Thank you for being here now. I want to begin in Ephesians, if you will, chapter 4, verse 1. I have been doing, this is our fourth week on this subject of meeting with the church, the church of Jesus Christ. And I pray with all of my heart that you will have come to understand that church is far more than just something we go to on Sunday morning. Um, We have been looking at this in great detail and we're going to continue this uh, subject about the church through the end of the year. Going into next year, it is my intention, beginning in middle to late January, to begin a teaching on Revelation, Daniel, and the end times. And so I think that'll be a really good opportunity for us to be able to just learn more of the Word of God. That'll be at the 9 o'clock service starting next year. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now that takes us back. I'm just quick reminder. Chapter 3, verse 10. To the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. Without the church, according to chapter 3, verse 10, without the church, the manifold wisdom of God will not be known. I want to say to you that I believe that the understanding of the church of Jesus Christ is one of the most misunderstood subjects in our Christian world today. And as a result of that, we can see the plight of our nation. A nation that has been given over to darkness and confusion, satanic movements everywhere, the mind of the Antichrist captivating not only our youth, but our old and teachers and professors alike. Because the church of Jesus Christ is the means by which God's manifold witness can be demonstrated to principalities and powers, which is where our warfare is. For the minds of a lot of people, church is just that social activity that we go to primarily on a Sunday. And we show up at church. But that is not at all what it is in the mind of God. It is a body that is joined together. It is a composite of many, many people. And in every one of those people is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit has gifted every person. And every person is supposed to function within their gift within the body. And when the body is functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit, the powers of hell don't stand a chance Against this church, but this church does not, I'm not saying this church, I'm saying the church today does not act that way because it doesn't understand it. We pray, we pay professional ministers to do the work and then we just kind of go and maybe, maybe we'll read our Bibles a little bit that week. Maybe we'll pray a little bit that week. We'll have a little couple of prayer groups that week. And yet the powers of darkness continue to increase because we don't understand the church. And I I, I beseech you, I beg you that if you have any desire for future generations, because I don't believe it's too late, but I believe we're on the verge of too late for, for the United States of America. I believe we're on the verge of too late, but it's not yet. And I, I beg you, if you will, to please, for the sake of God, the sake of your children, the sake of your grandchildren, let's do everything we can To give them the best opportunity that can possibly be given. Because 
what started this, this country was men and women seeking the opportunity to worship God in freedom. And that is the only thing that's going to save this country. It's not going to be some politics, some election that's going to turn this around. It is going to be the church of Jesus Christ living in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I pray that we will recognize that. So he comes to chapter 4 verse 1 and he says, I beg you to live worthy. This is the only hope for humanity. And one of the reasons why, as he says in verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. And that hope of your calling is chapter 3 verse 10. And the Holy Spirit is telling us, you're all I've got. I have chosen to put myself inside the church. I don't have any other vehicle. You're all I've got. You're my one church. And so he's begging us to live worthy of this calling. And so as we come into that, we've been studying this. I want us to come to this understanding in this study today about how do we meet with the church? And we've been talking about that. We've been talking about the sacraments. For example, um, communion that you just had. We've talked about water baptism, which are the two things that Jesus asked us to continue to do as believers. And, and partly what we've done today. And so we've talked about what happens as we minister to men. Because we are priests for God unto men. So we minister to one another. And we've talked about how we do that. And what should a church service look like? As Paul said to Timothy, giving all heed to doctrine and exhortation and reading and prayers. That's a hallmark of the church. When you go to church, it it should be about these things and the presence of God. Today, we're going to talk about when the church meets, we're going to talk about its ministry to God. Because we've talked about our ministry to one another. So today we're going to talk about our ministry to God. I'm just going to give you several things if, if you will take heart and, and listen to these things. And one of the things that we're, we have to be mindful of if we're going to minister to God is that we are in fellowship. Nothing grieves the Holy Spirit more than disunity and division, criticism, a critical spirit, a negative spirit. A spirit of division, a spirit of gossip, a spirit that is antagonistic, that hurts the Holy Spirit more than anything. And so we have to be careful that if we're going to minister to God, we don't want to act and behave and speak and do things in such a way that's grieving the Holy Spirit. We want to do things that is blessing him. And when we're kind and we're tenderhearted and we're forgiving one another, then that blesses the Holy Spirit. How many of you want to bless the Holy Spirit today? You speak words of grace to one another. You uplift one another. You, you, you speak things that are going to benefit and profit the body of Christ with one another. We have to maintain this fellowship in the Lord. We have to understand that the body of Christ is a living organism. It's not an organization. It's not a corporation. It's an organism. It's a, it's a thing of life. And e- even those that, that may not be here today and maybe they're sick today, we, we should be longing for them. It's this fellowship and this love and this concern for one another. We should be consistently supportive of the church, its services, and its programs. And I mean the local church. I mean that specific local church. 
We've studied this very carefully. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the Holy Spirit puts you in the body of Christ where it pleases him. If the Holy Spirit puts you in the body where it pleases him, you should be active in that body. You should be supportive of that body. You should help to make everything that that body is doing. You should endeavor to help it and do it with with a great excellence. We should all be we should all want it to succeed. We should all want it to be great. With our prayers, with our participations, with our financial giving, we should do all of these things. We should worship and we should praise and we should serve God and love the body of Christ with other believers. We should support the house. It is our responsibility to give of our finances to the local church. We're doing this not to men but to God. When you give your offering, that's why I'm talking about the ministry unto God. When you give unto God and you give your gifts, you give your tithes, you give your offering, you're not giving that to me. You're not giving that to people. You're giving that to God. Really quick in the book of Galatians. If you turn back one book. And you see in the book of Galatians chapter 6. There's so many scriptures that we could read. But he tells us this in Galatians 6 verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word. Communicate or give to him that teaches in all good things. So if you're being taught the word, you should give back. Uh, uh, you know, everybody wants to be a biblical Christian. Well, you should have given something today because you're being taught the word today. I'm not making this up. This is what it says. You're not giving this to me. You're giving this to the Lord. It's an offering to the Lord. This is why. Verse 7, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So we have therefore opportunity. Let us do good to all men, especially to them who are of the household of faith. And so we give, we, we, we give our offerings, we, we give back to those that are teaching us the word of God and we're able to bless other people and through our church we're able to give benevolence to people that might find themselves in a particular need. It's because we all give and we all contribute to that and a man's going to reap what he sows and when we see so much carnality in our world today. I mean, I don't know what it is today. I'd imagine it's a fortune to go to the movies and to buy some co- a Coke and a popcorn. It's probably a lot more money than people regularly give to the church. We, we, we saw a statistic last week in Oklahoma, and the pastor said that the average giving per month, the average giving per month of Christians in America is $29.30. It's the average giving of Christians per month. That, that's shocking. And yet we wonder, what's wrong with our world? You know, what's wrong with going? Because it's not a matter of giving it to the church and the pastor gets the money. It's a matter of, are we going to mock God or are we going to honor God? Is God's word valuable to us? Is the communication of God's word valuable? Are the things of God valuable? Is God's kingdom valuable? Are the things of the spirit valuable? Then when we see things that are honoring God and valuable to God, give to that. And when you give to that, that's what's going to be reaped. 
But we don't give to that. We give to carnal things. Some people pay more to buy LSU football tickets than they give to God all year long. And, and this is what we reap in our society and in our community. And we wonder and we question what's going on in the world. So we have to serve God. We have to honor God with our giving and with our worship and our consistency. The Bible says that we are to bring spiritual sacrifices to God. This is in 1 Peter chapter 2. I want to, I want to talk about this this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2. This is going to be our, our basic text for today. He says in verse 5, You also as living stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. So that's what we are, all right? Now, that's if you're born again. I would not suppose that in a group this size that every one of you in this room are born again. I would not suppose that. There's probably a good many of you that are not born again. You're religious. You have a Christian worldview. You believe in Jesus. But the power of Jesus Christ has had no impact upon your life. You're still the Lord of your life. You do what you want to do. You go where you want to go. You give what you want to give. God's not going to inconvenience your life. And, and so he's not the Lord of your life. He's just your worldview. But when Jesus is the Lord of your life, then we're able to embrace. We're saved. We're born again. We have been brought into Christ through our faith in Jesus Christ. We have now become part of a spiritual house. And now we offer up spiritual sacrifices to be acceptable to God. What an honor, right? In Revelation, it says we have been made kings and priests unto God. And so I just want to talk for a moment today about what our spiritual sacrifices are. Okay? Can we do that? Some people think, well, they're spiritual sacrifices, so they're spiritual, which means you can't see them. They're somewhat mystical. That's not true at all. Don't think for just a moment because God is spirit and we communicate and live with God and worship God in spirit that none of that is seen in the natural. That, that would be a gross mistake to assume. Our spiritual sacrifices mean that they're spiritual in their nature, but they're not defined or they're not just, you know, within the scope of that which is invisible, they find their expression both in the spirit and in the natural. They're supposed to. So how many of you want to be a biblical Christian? Come on, let me see a show of hands. I mean, it matters. You know, hey, I want the word. I want the Bible. I, I, give me the word, you know. Let's live the Bible. Well, a lot of times we cherry pick that, you know. We want to live the Bible when they measure up to my convictions. But when the Bible begins to intrude upon my traditions and it begins to intrude upon what makes me uncomfortable, well, I don't know if I'm going to be a biblical Christian now. But we've got, we, we're, listen, we're priests to God. We, by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is what God desires, right? I want his manifold wisdom to be demonstrated today in my generation. And so he tells us this. And so I'm just going to give you a list of things. You can jot these things down in your Bibles. And we're going to go to some scriptures and we'll look at them in just a moment to back this up. But some of the spiritual sacrifices that we are to offer to God. 
This is supposed to be what I'm what this first one is supposed to be private as well as public. Private as well as public. We are to be thankful to God. We are to give thanks to God. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so glad that the spiritual sacrifice that God is asking us to give is, I want you to spend $150,000 and go to a seminary and get a doctorate degree in theology. That's how you're really going to honor me. Thank God he doesn't say that. Be thankful. Now, what believer would not be? Right? That's not just something private that is also public. We're going to see that in just a second. The second thing that we should demonstrate in our being a priesthood and worship unto God is reverence. We should reverence the Lord. Now, a great tragedy has come into American Christianity. I'm going to be honest with you. If you haven't noticed this by now, I don't like American Christianity. I really don't like it. I do not like what the stoic Europeans brought to this continent and established as far as the practice of our Christianity. The pioneer type man who never weeps and never cries and never bows. Never admits his need, never admits his weakness. Too big, too proud to bow at an altar publicly to God. I don't like that kind of Christian man. That, you don't find that worshiper of God in the Bible. That, that callous type stoicism where we're, we're taught that when we go to church, we need to reverence the Lord. And, and, and that idea is practically that when you walk into church, you, you just kind of have this tone about you. And you go in and you're kind of very quiet and you're very stoic because you're honoring God and you're reverencing the presence of the Lord. And you walk into the church and you go into that church and you quietly take your seat. And then you quietly do what you're told to do. And you sing when you're told to sing. And you sit down when you're told to sit down. And you're not supposed to disturb anything. You're not supposed to say anything. You're just supposed to sit there and you're supposed to be quiet. That's a funeral that's not church. That, that is a lot of denominationalism, but that is not Bible. That, that is the corruption of what I would call Western Christianity. And that is, you don't find that in the Bible. There's joy, and there's liberty, and there's life, and there's fellowship, and there's friendship, and there's happiness, and there's people loving each other, and hugging each other, and, and befriending one another, and children laughing and playing, and feeling comfortable in the presence of God. Because it's his house and it's his home. And there's reverence in that. It's a beautiful thing with God. But we also show respect to God. And we show respect to God's house. Our conduct is to be that which is glorifying to Jesus Christ. That brings pleasure to Jesus and attracts people to Jesus. By the way we dress even. By the way we come. The way we approach God. The way we take care of one another. Our reverence deals as well with not trying to distract what God is doing in the service. But draw attention to what God is doing in the service. That, that's, that, that needs to be the motivation of our life. It's not for me to come to church and just do whatever I want to do. But it's to draw attention to what God is doing. In our modern day world today, I, I believe it would be reverence if I silenced my phone. 
rather than, you know, I got my phone on and it's ringing all day long and the preacher's trying to preach. Maybe I got somebody sitting in front of me that's under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and they're about to get saved. And all of a sudden my phone goes off and it disturbs and it distracts from everything the Holy Spirit's. See, that's irreverence. It's distracting from what God wants to do. It's pulling away from what the Holy Spirit is saying. Look at this. And what something we do begins to draw everybody's attention on something else. That would be irreverence to the presence of God and what the Lord is doing. We should honor the leadership that God establishes in the church. This is a very difficult thing for leadership to talk about. But I understand, therefore I can. Because I have spent my life in submission to authority above me. In groups that I have ministered with. Missions organizations that I serve under. I have had to live in submission to those that were in authority over me. When I served with the School of Christ and Pastor Clendenin, I was in submission to him. I was in submission to this mission. I had to, to do what they were asking of us to do and behave in the way they were asking us to behave. And I would never bring problems to him. I would never allow myself to be the cause of a problem in his life or in his mission. Now that I have the opportunity to work with World Challenge and that great ministry and the heads that are over me, I'm in submission to them. I would never do anything to hurt that ministry. I would never do anything to cause dissension. I honor Gary Wilkerson. I honor John Bailey. I honor these guys that have given me the opportunity to serve Jesus with them. And, and, and so what they're asking me to do, I, I'm willing to submit myself to do that with them. Even if I think that my way could do it a little bit better, I'm in submission to them. Now, we're not talking about things that are going against the word of God, right? We're talking about that which lines up with the word of God, but they have a particular opinion about what they want to do. And maybe my opinion's different. My opinion is going to lay itself down to their opinion. Hebrews chapter 13. Um, and and if, if you would just kind of turn there, because we're going to conclude with Hebrews 13 today. But I, but I want you to see, we're about to jump to Psalms really quick. But in Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says, Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. So that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to remember them, who has the rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Having trouble with this mic. I'll get this handheld. So, so the, that's what the word of God is teaching us. It's for the government of the church. It's for the order of the church. I don't assign myself to this position. This is the last thing in the world I ever wanted to do. Was to be up here as a minister, a preacher, and, and ministering in this fashion. He says in verse 17, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they watch for your souls as they that must give account. That they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. It's not unprofitable to them. It's unprofitable to you. But we live in a world where marriage is not sacred. 
Relationships are not sacred. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Everybody's their own God. Everybody lives by their own opinion. And that's why this chaos that goes on in our world today and this confusion is not just in the world. It also exists within the church. And so there has to be this reverence that God has set up with leadership in our life. Now, I want to focus on this, and I'm going to give you a couple of these things. In our ministry to God, as priests to God, we should be joyful. We should be joyful. There should be a demeanor about us that is happy and that is pleasant in our life. We should be that. We should sing. We should sing to God. We should receive healing. We should receive deliverance. We should be lifted up to a place of joy and gladness in the presence of the Lord. Instead of sackcloth and ashes, he gives us joy, even joy for our mourning. We should trust the Lord. We should worship God in spirit and in truth. Let me share this with you. Jesus Christ told us that right now, my father is going around looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. He's not looking for preachers. He's not looking for evangelists. He's not looking for teachers. He's not looking for sacrifices. He's looking for people who worship. Why would we not be the first ones to worship him in spirit and in truth? If that's what he's looking for, why wouldn't we give him that? Our outward man and our ministry to God should be affected with lifting our hands. Lifting our hands is not a Pentecostal phenomena. They were lifting their hands before there was even a new covenant. Not only lifting our hands, we should shout. We should raise our voices loudly to God. Denominationalism doesn't allow you to do that. American Christian tradition does not allow you to do that. We do it everywhere else. We get excited about everything else, but you can't get excited about God. The devil knows what he's doing when that happens. We're supposed to dance. We're supposed to be still. We're supposed to sit. We're supposed to bow. On our faces and worship God. That's what they do in heaven. In the book of Revelation, it says they're constantly doing that before. When was the last time you bowed on your face before God? And they didn't do this in heaven in their new mansion in some little closet in in the home that Jesus built. They're doing it publicly around the throne of God in front of everybody. We're supposed to have full joy and sing in the spirit. We're supposed to prophesy. We're supposed to encourage one another. So a few scriptures. Let's go quickly. Psalm 47. I, want, I just want us to go through these things. This is, this is way before Pentecost. All right. And so, you know what? Our brothers in other places, our, our Baptist brothers, our Methodist brothers, our Episcopalians, whatever it might be. All of the, the, the lifting your hands isn't charismatic. Lifting your hands isn't Pentecost. Shouting to God is not Pentecost. Dance is not Pentecost. It's just people who reverence and understand and know their God. And the church should be all about that. 
So you want to be a biblical Christian. Psalm 47, it says this. Oh, clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. For the Lord Most High is terrible. He is a great king over all the earth. That's why you do it. Well, I don't feel like shouting. Well, wait a minute. Is God not Most High anymore? Is he not a great king over all the earth anymore? No, he still is regardless of how I feel. So I'm going to clap my hands to God and I'm going to shout to God because there's something very powerful. This is not for you. And it's really not for me. It's for God. It's what he requires. Psalm 63. Turn there. Listen to this. He says in verse 1, O God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see your power and your glory as I have seen you in the sanctuary. In other words, he's saying, I look for your power and your glory in the sanctuary. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall pray. Not my heart. Of course his heart does. But the praising of his heart is going to affect his lips and what he says. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied. These are the expressions of the outward man who is really serving and worshiping God. In Psalm 100. Again, this psalm, this is a beautiful psalm, full of instruction of approaching the presence of the Lord. In this psalm of approaching God, David says in verse 1, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all you lands. I'll be honest with you. There have been numbers of times when I've come into church and I I was singing, but I, I was not making a joyful noise. And it's got nothing to do with the quality of which you sing. It's got nothing to do with whether you can carry a tune or not. It's the condition of your heart. And I've come many times into God's presence singing songs to him, and I was not joyful at all. But I kept on in faith until my heart got happy. And before I left church, I was happy. I was making a joyful noise to God. Praise the Lord. It's what we should be about, you know. And then he says, serve the Lord with gladness. It should show. I think gladness on people shows. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that has made us not, and not we ourselves. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. So enter into his gates with thanksgiving. You cannot do that privately. You cannot do that simply in your heart. Praise to God is visible. It is expressive. It is public. That's the praise of God. Enter into his courts with praise, in his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise, and be thankful to him and bless his name because he's good. His mercy is everlasting. Truth to all generations. Psalm 134. Notice this. He says in Psalm 134, Behold, bless ye the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, which by night stand in the house of the Lord. We're going to do that tonight in the prayer meeting. So you can fulfill this scripture tonight. Come join with us tonight in the courts of the Lord. 
And let's pray together and bless the Lord and stand by night in the house of the Lord and lift our hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. The Lord that made the heaven and the earth bless you out of Zion. We can do that. Psalm 149. Let's very quickly quickly come to the end of the psalm. Psalm 149. He says this, praise ye the Lord. Sing unto the Lord a new song. That's the song of your spirit. That's the song of your heart. And, and, And as well, there's nothing wrong with new songs. Praise God. There's nothing no, wrong with new songs. We, we need to understand that. In, in heaven, they sing the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses. So, so there's both of them, and, and we can bring that in. Let Israel rejoice in him that made him. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name in the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and the harp. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud upon their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, a two-edged sword in their hand. He says in 150, Psalm 150, praise you the Lord, praise God in his sanctuary, praise him in the firmament of his power, praise him for his mighty acts, praise him according to his excellent greatness, praise him with the sound of the trumpet, praise him with the psaltery and harp, praise him with the timbrel and the dance, praise him with stringed instruments and organs. We need some of those up here and some of you guys can play them. And we need that up here. Praise him upon the loud cymbals. Oh, no. There's that loud. I know some of us don't like it loud. Well, it's loud in heaven. And it's, and it's loud with David. David's saying, play it loud. Turn it up. You know? Well, you know, and, and I'm going to tell you one of the reasons to do is so you can shout. You can't be vocal. You, that's what's so beautiful in this altar. Because I guarantee you, some of you guys sit on the back row. That's fine. It's great. Let the whole church be an altar. But I'm going to tell you something. It's really hard for you to let go of a loud shout in that balcony or on the back of that wall. But when you stand up in this altar with everyone else who shout, you can shout and you can't even hear yourself. It's, it's just liberating. Because God is moved by that. It is so beautiful what God does. And so he says in Psalm 150, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise ye the Lord. We're to sing to God. We're to lift our hands to God. We're to shout to God. We're to dance to God. We're to worship God. We're to be thankful to God. We're to praise God. We're to honor God. We're to lift up the name of God in Revelation. We're to bow to God, fall on our face before God, sit before God. Praise God. There are so many postures I I told people before, if I could do anything in church, I would take all of the chairs out. We'd just have, just, you know, just take, and if, if, who is, what is God revealing to you right now about himself? And let that be your posture to him. No, nobody would come. I know. They don't even have seats in that church. You know, we get so comfortable in our seats and. We don't like the front row because there's no seat in front of us to hide us. Back to 1 Peter and Hebrews 13, and I'll close with this. In 1 Peter chapter 2. Now, I'm, I'm just reading that for you guys that love to be biblical. Oh, I just want to be Bible. 
So let's be careful about pointing our fingers at people that aren't living up to our Bible standards that we love when maybe we're not living up to the Bible standards that make us uncomfortable. All of this is the work of grace. All of it. It's the work of grace and faith that we put ourselves into God. So I close with this, Carla. Thank you. You also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. You should. You should. And maybe he's saying there, I know a lot of you won't. But you should show forth the praises of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You used to not be his people, but now you are. Can you not get excited about that? And not just when a preacher's telling you to. You didn't have mercy, but now you have it. Show forth his praises. Hebrews 13 tells us beautifully what that praise is. You just turn a couple of books back, and he says in Hebrews 13, so beautiful. And if you would stand with me, I just want to read this with you. Verse 12 says, Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Now here it is. By him, by Jesus, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And what is the sacrifice of praise? It is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. And beloved, these are our weapons. You may not believe it. It may make no sense to you. It makes no more sense than Joshua getting Israel to march around Jericho and being quiet. And then the last day, going around it seven times and shouting. That is ridiculous warfare strategy. But when the church of Jesus Christ believes in their God, and when they can sing to God and be glad because they're saved, and God is the great king of the earth, and they can dance to God, and they can rejoice in the Lord, and they can shout to God, and they can lift up their hands. I believe this, that these are the weapons of our warfare. And it may make no sense to us, but I believe that when we're lifting up our shout, and we're lifting up our hands, and we're lifting up our praise, and we're lifting up our thanksgiving, I believe devastation is happening to the kingdom of hell. I believe it. Praise God. Praise God. And at this church, you have the freedom and the liberty to worship God biblically. You don't have to be an American Christian. Be a Bible Christian. Worship God in spirit and in truth.